I'm comfortable being uncomfortable. And um, I look at that situation and want to solve that problem. It goes back to the very beginning of this conversation. Like I love just looking at situations and trying to trying to make them the best I can with the people that I'm with. Welcome to the Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. This is your host, Brian Gatins. In adventure racing lingo, a dark zone is a time when due to darkness or safety, teams are paused on the course before continuing with the race. During that time, stories are exchanged, friendships are kindled, spirits are restored, and teams have a chance to prepare for the next challenge. We hope that you make good use of this dark zone. We're glad that you're here. Today's guest is Jay Peter Vary, one of the top ultra-endurance cyclists in the world, with numerous wins and course records in his name, he has won some of the toughest bike races you could find. What is less well known is that Jay began his career as an adventure racer, and he credits adventure racing as the sport that helped to form him into the person he is today. His topics are wide-ranging, his thoughts are broad, his enthusiasm is unbridled. He's as passionate today as Avera has been about outdoor pursuits. Thank you, Jay, for joining us on The Dark Zone. Thank you also to Tansy Navigation for coming on board as a sponsor of The Dark Zone. You can learn all about them at tansynavigation.org. That's T-A-N-Z navigation.org. Listeners of The Dark Zone can enter to win a free copy of Mark Latanzi's book, Squiggly Lines, by emailing me, brian, at ardarkzone.com. And again, thank you for joining The Dark Zone. Today's world doesn't lack for ways to grab your time and attention, and we're grateful to have you as a listener. You started off by mentioning how adventure racing was the cloth that cut you into ultra endurance bike packing <laughs> and and adventure racing goes back now decades in the in, in America and it goes back decades, started overseas and things like that. And it's yeah. grown over time. And you clearly have um, incredible success as an ultra endurance bike pack racer. But you did mention yeah. adventure racing. What was your AR career like? What were, your, what were some of your highlights? It was uh, it was really neat, honestly. Like, you know, I was born, raised in Jersey, you know, uh, maybe not the best circumstances at home and things like that. But um, when I when I went off into college, uh, after college, I started a business. And so I started to earn some income. And then I started to do outdoor sports. I was an, always an athletic kid, but I never really pursued outdoor sports, meaning mountain sports. And then once I graduated college, 93, I guess it was, just soon after that, I got introduced to mountain biking and uh, through some motocross friends. And I was like, wow, mountain biking. And I just was like, I went full blown with that, like pretty quickly. And so it was hot and heavy in the early 90s, right? And uh, but then within a year of that, like I, I met some friends and we were like, they had drives. They were like, Hey, did you ever see this thing? Eco challenge on TV. And we watched it. It was like the first episode of eco challenge was British Columbia. I could remember it. And I was like, wow, like that's cool. Immediately attracted to that. I was always like really interested in the mountaineering films and, you know, that type of stuff, just like Everest stuff. And it was just like always fascinating to me. Um, didn't really see I was able to grasp it or not, but I just had interest in it. And then this adventure racing thing I was turned on to. And immediately we became tight with a, a small group of friends and uh, my now wife as well, girlfriend at the time. We got into this together, I would say. She actually joined a mountain bike team. I didn't, but I raced, and that, that helped me build the community aspect. And so 
this uh, small group of us were uh, had eyes to do uh, an AR event, and uh, it was the the Beast of the East uh, was launched. It was the very first one of Don Mann's events. He was famous back in the day, um, and we were trained to go do this Beast of the East. And so immediately, like, I just got into mountain biking, but now all of a sudden we're going away on weekends to upstate New York and kind of up northeast and, like, learning rope work, uh, how to paddle canoes, uh, you know, the, the footwork, going to orienteering events. And so it was, like, it was really exciting because it was just like all these new things but i just love being outside and um you know the bike was always something that we raced and did and i excelled at that but i was like pretty i, I would consider myself like a, a rover talented in, in all the disciplines and um then we started doing high-tech races uh so kind of kind of i don't know if you'd call them off-road triathlons of the day um and so that kind of like helped us train and introduced us to these different sports and hone our skills. And then we went off and did that beast of the East. Uh, we did a, actually we did a prep race before that. And we ended up in, it was like, so now I'm starting to travel a little bit. We're starting to go out West and take vacations to go skiing, things like that. And, but we went West to do an AR event and that was, uh, it was a one and done event. It was out at, uh, it was in Fort Collins at uh, whatever lake that is there. And, and anyway, we had a host uh, that put us up for the weekend. And that was Barry Siff. And Barry Siff wrote the first book that's dedicated to us, Toy Soldiers. Um, on uh, It was an adventure racing uh, how-to, if you will. And so anyway, uh, it's such a funny thing. Like, so Barry's hosting us, but he wasn't doing the event um, where our team was, but one of our teammates couldn't make it. And so we convinced Barry that night <laughs> to like, dude, you're coming with us to do this weekend. Long. And he's like, and this is like the epitome of a roadie, like only knows triathlon run he's a runner the 5ks the marathon so like just the stereotypical clean cut doesn't want to get dirty the you know the bite the whole thing and he was like no way and we were like barry you're doing this with us and his personality was awesome we got we just got got along we, we meshed well and we did that race that weekend together and um he kind of got hooked he ended up being our teammate for that Beast of the East event later on that following year. For me, I went from team to team. You know, back then, like, it was all just, it was just the networking. It was the same people, same events. And I was kind of a workhorse. And it was awesome. It was a great way to travel. Um, and I was fully entrenched in, like, adventure racing for 10 years plus, for sure. Um, and, and, and like, and it segued, uh, it segued into like me doing like some ultra running or, you know, you know, doing the disciplines by themselves and, you know, and the 24 hour mountain biking and all this stuff. But like, I was definitely like honed in on the adventure racing and did all this other training to go travel. And, you know, I did a handful of eco challenges, did some primal quests, 
Um, and just like, it was so fun just running around on these like unknown adventures and journeys. And I was kind of being mentored by like, say I was young twenties. And at that time that was a, a young man in sport. And I was being mentored by the, and even the, the pod of people we hung around with and we were called the toy soldiers. And we, we kind of made a name for ourselves. We were out of far Hills, New Jersey. And, um, we, we basically ran two teams out of that name. It was, it was so much to learn. And it just like, it made me who I am today. Um, and the sleep deprivation and like, that, I, I just found that great. And like going back to that mentoring thing. So I was having these mid thirties, 40 years old showing me this stuff, but I didn't know better. And so I, I never, I just liked it. Um, but I never really developed an opinion of it of like, I never had like a negative, uh, view of it or I never like, you'll hear me today, the way I speak and things like, I don't, I don't use the words like suffering or I don't put uh, like anything negative. I just don't have in my language because I, I don't think that's a great way to promote sport. And with my mindset, like I finished every single event I've done and that's, uh, that's, that's pretty huge. And I'm talking, <laughs> yeah, like multi-day, multi-week events, you know, um, and it's just this positive attitude that I've always had that's, that's helped me in sport because I loved it. I love being outdoors. And I don't know, I, I still think back today and I, I don't know if that was like me running away from childhood stuff or whatever, you know, I mean, there's, I know there's a lot of like studying psychology that goes into that with the uh, ultra uh, endurance folks and things like that. But, um, and to this day, you know, I'm 50 years old, like, you know, almost 30 years later of ultra endurance. And I mean, like consistent, like several events a year, every single year for 30 years. Um, and yeah, I, I'm mainly a bike packer for the past 15 years for sure, but I miss those days. And every time I talk about it, like I always bring up my AR days cause that's really carved me out to who I am today. When I transitioned from like multi-sport, because honestly, like it was fun running around, but it was like, as you know, it can be a very expensive sport. Um, you know, I was there in the heyday of it when like getting sponsor money was like, it was good. <laughs> um, getting big brands on board and swiping a check to go do three eco challenges for a team of four. Like, yeah, that was an amazing time and opportunity we had. And then, you know, once like Burnett took that stuff off the air, like that stuff just dried up basically. And, and honestly, I kind of, after a certain point, I got fed up too with doing team sport. You know, I mean, all this three and four person teams. I love that. It taught me a lot about people, personalities, how to get through these very sensitive, challenging situations deep in the jungle when you're so deprived. But how do you make that situation easy? It's super easy to make that thing explode and make that situation worse and drive people out of it. But the trick and the, the beauty, I think, is in like, let's figure this out and how to make this better. And there's a lot of psychology and approach. you got to approach that differently with everybody. i got to approach you differently than I have to approach my wife or whatever. And like figuring that out is super fun because you could say the wrong thing at the wrong time and you just crush the team.
And you're, and you're spot on, right? So, so I I appreciate your two-footed jump into the world of adventure racing. I loved how you honed in right away on the idea that you found people that you liked being around. I wrote down the word tribe when you were speaking. Clearly, you and the toy soldiers out of the adventure racing mecca of Far Hills, New Jersey, that clearly you were able to build this group around yourselves and you and you move together as a herd. And there's a lot of team transfer back and forth during adventure racing, right? There's one person will race with this team, this with another team. But it sounds like for you, it was never, you mentioned how you don't use the word suffering, that that doesn't come up inside of your language. I would bet you probably use the word challenge, like you enjoyed yourself, your team, and like you said, just figuring things out. What was that? What was that curve like for you? Like, did you have to learn how to work better with people in the beginning? Or did it come naturally to you? And what did it what did they teach you along the way? I, I, you know, it's, yeah. Like you said, like, I love to use the word uh, challenge. Something that just came to mind was like, I like problem solving mm -hmm. and I like real world problem solving, <laughs> like not crossword puzzles. I like this like real life stuff. And, um, you know, it, it did actually come pretty natural to me. And, you know, and there again, I'll bring up my upbringing and maybe that's helped me there. I've had to have a lot of patience and deal with a lot of different situations and get through life on myself a, a bit, I might say. And so now I'm in sport and um, I just like to observe and watch and see how people operate and want to be treated and, you know, you know, what's going to make this person uh, tick and do better? What's the encouragement? Or does this person need to be, uh, do you need to be a little more firm with that person? And, um, and that, like I said, that's the beauty of it. And like, I, I, I was pretty natural uh, with it. I, I don't know why, but I also think that's why I had the opportunity to be on these other teams because I could just jump in with three people I didn't know. And I could do the event with no problems and my personality will get along with everyone. And, and I can add to the team, right? Like I wanna, I wanna be a team player. I'm, I'm not an I person. And like, I don't need that. I don't need the pat on the back. I don't need to be like, oh, I got us here. I, I just wanna add to this. We're, we're really all one. We might be four people, but we're still all one. And, uh, and really, what's the goal? It's like, well, how are we going to get us to the finish line the fastest? That's how I was brought up. Like, and we weren't about finishing. Like, I was always a competitor, and we wanted to do the fast we can. So what, what's that formula? And that formula is always changing. So my mind is always thinking like that. And that keeps me super engaged within the event and focused. You know, my mind's not thinking about these other life things I have because I, I really do enjoy that piece. That's um, also part of the enjoyment. Like inside of a, a five-day race or seven or a 10-day race, you get to turn out the outside world. It, it goes away for a while and it's you and it's your team and it's your maps and off you go. I, I assume you love that, right? The best feeling in the world. <laughs> and I still love that today. And like, sometimes I'm be like, yeah, I don't know if it's an escape for me, but like, I, I, it's the only time I could turn off everything else that's around me. And I tend to live a busy life and I have a lot of irons in the fire all the time. And I, I, I know I bring that on myself and that's how I need to operate because I, I'm not good if I don't have a lot of things on my plate. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm not doing something right or like I can get in trouble or I don't know. But like, and, but when I'm on an event, I get to tune all that out. Now I'm focused on one thing.
getting from point and, A to point B with your team or to this yeah. day individually because it's through, through your yeah. bikepacking. And it's something I really enjoy. I, 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 there's another thing that you, you know, there again, I'm just observe, just being an observer and looking across other competitors, different things. Like I think a lot of people see sport as like this, uh, um, you know, it's like this awesome little thing, you know, they see it on TV or it's described as oh, look at this guy having so much, Oh, that looks amazing and fun, but like, and they want to do it to say they did it, but they don't really love it. And then they descend, they tend to describe it in a way that I wouldn't describe it. Um, they tend to tend to tend to talk about more of the hardships or, uh, those people tend to stop or quit or not make it. Um, and you know, it's, 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 it's much more difficult um, than it than it looks like and I don't you like you, you you can't describe those that difficulty or those challenges unless you do it like it's really hard for me to talk about um, you know how difficult it can be to do some of these things. That's a good um, point. You do these amazingly long adventures. You've done them as a group through adventure racing. You do it through individual bikepacking. When you go and you're, you're around people who don't do those things, and you talk about what you do, it's hard to get them to wrap their heads around the idea, the immensity, the enormity of what you're doing, because they'll just look at you with blank stares and be like, that sounds like a lot of fun. But in the big picture, they can't grasp the idea of a multi-day by yourself in, in, the, in the wild. And they can't grab onto it. When something goes wrong, you have a mechanical in the middle of nowhere and you got to figure it out. And it's tough for people to grab onto those things and to understand that unless they attempt to do it themselves. Yeah. I was, you know, I do, I work with some clients and some consulting stuff. And just recently I was talking with someone and, you know, I've done the, uh, the Iditarod trail invitational like 12 times now. And, um, so what does you know, say a bit about that? What is the idea for, for the newcomer who's listening to this podcast doesn't know what that <laughs> is. What is the Iditarod trail invitational? Yeah. The Iditarod trail invitational is a, uh, it's an over snow event. And so it's open to bike, ski, or foot, and you could choose to do 350 miles or a thousand miles. And it's held on the Iditarod trail and, um, the actual dog race trail in Alaska. And it's held in, uh, basically March. Um, and you've done it how many times I've done that 12 times. And how successful have you been? Uh, I've been pretty successful. I've, uh, <laughs> I've won quite a bit and I've been to Nome on four different occasions and I finished it. Yeah. It's like, it's, I have a lot of history there and it's, I have a lot of love for that event. Um, but, uh, Oh, I was just talking to someone and, um, going back to like trying to be around people that you can relate to. Um, I was like, you know, when you get to the finish, like, he's like, well, how do I get on the plane? We'll get home. And I was like, honestly, man, just like spend, spend as much time at the finish as you can, because you're going to be around people that you could share stories with. And you're going to hear the stories. And they're the only people that honestly are going to be able to relate. You're going to try to go home and explain this to your wife. You're like, they're not going to have any idea what she went through. <laughs> like you could try, but like, it's just not the same. And so I think it's really important to spend time around some of those people that do understand, especially after an event like that, when you are so high with your chemicals in your body and just like just coming off the trail and have all these feelings and emotion that take days to settle down, literally. 
um, you need to be around people that have that too. And I, I, I think it's, it's super valuable um, just in your own recovery per se. Because if you just like go, you're going to want to share that with someone, but it's like, it's just going to be different. When you finish a big event and you're, you're all, you're at the finish line people love it. I love it when the, when the race is over and the race director is able to put together a big feed after the finish and there's several hours there and maybe there's some daylight and you don't need to rush home right away and you have a chance to sit with each other and sort of process all the emotions of the experience before you pack yourself up and go home. Because sometimes a race ends and you got to go and all of a sudden an hour later you're in your car and you're like, I want to talk to somebody about this. Yeah. And I, I've done some of that and it's not great. Um, and I've done a lot of events and like, so I'm, I'm super fortunate, like, uh, you know, um, but for the people that only have some or allowed some experiences, like you got to really embellish and like, like soak that stuff in. And I try to take a couple of days by myself when I do like my rides across the country and two week adventures, like I don't hop on a plane to come home. Like I want to rent a car and drive home because I need some of that time within my own thoughts. Um, and, and yeah, we have other life commitments and it's hard and stuff like that. But I, I'll just say to the listeners, it's really important to do that if you ever do have these opportunities. I think too, I think you've highlighted an important point. A large part of the dark zone listener are people who are newer to racing. And I like how you bring up the idea that the training is the training, the event is the event, and the post event is the post event. And many people focus on the event as being the nucleus of the experience. And while it is, that's true. It's definitely when you do something, you take a big bite of something out of your life. The post-event experience of talking to other competitors, spending some time reflecting on it, thinking about what's going to come next, enjoying the, the pride of you have a finishing a big event. And, and it's important to point out that I say big event, that's relative to somebody. A big event big could be time. a 5K to somebody. A big event could be a 10K. It could be a marathon. It could be a multi-day race. It could be an expedition level race. And so your big is your big. But I think what you're saying is, and, I, and feel free to, to point me in the right direction. The event is one thing, but the post-event experience, soaking it up, processing it, and using it to reflect is even more important on top of the race itself. It absolutely is. Like, And, and it's easy Okay, to put something on your calendar. Okay, so we do that. that. That's our big high there. And then, okay, so we commit to this, uh, this uh, pre, this four part, which is the training and the preparation. And, you know, I, I use this uh, hashtag called do your work. And, um, you know, that would be the work part. But that work's going to pay off during the event. Um, and, and people can commit to that. And... Not everyone likes doing that part. I love doing that part. Like you, you really got to enjoy the training as well and keep it fun and figure out how to do that and the preparation and logistics and like that kind of stuff and the planning and the research and, you know, the, the learning you could do along the way. You can look into the event, and a little history and location. Like there's a lot of things you could do to make that really fun. And so you do this and you commit to that and then you have the event. But like we were talking about, like we don't talk about or commit any time to the post. You know, we celebrate with the champagne or whatever it is. Like, okay, cheers. And okay, well, that's over. And it shouldn't be. Um, and it doesn't matter. Like, I'm not a writer. And some people love to do, like, 
you know, uh, race recaps and this and that. And I'm not that type of person, but uh, I do want to be around and talk about my experience with other people or be just even by myself. It's like I said, like sometimes like I want to drive home because I just want to be within my own thoughts. And that's that's good enough for a post for me, um, because I did have some time to kind of relax and calm down. Like when I'm riding my bike for two weeks straight and just stop suddenly, I can't jump into the real world. That is impossible. And if I do, I'm going to be grumpy and like weird. Like, I know this, my wife knows this. She's like, dude, like you need to like back off, take a few days. Like, um, and I think that's just nature of a human being. Um, and there again, like, if you only have these opportunities once, you, you better enjoy it. <laughs> Your take on people who, there, there many kinds of people do many kinds of races. What's your take on people who they do the race for the purpose of saying they did the event? Have you seen that, that transformation in yourself and in other people, the motivation behind why they race? Does it start with, I want to show the world what I can do? Yeah. And, does and it not- turn into, I can do it? So the question is the idea that when people get involved in events, whether it be a distance wise, people will start very often to show the world they have something to prove to the world to themselves that they could do this thing. And I always like to say that the thing is relative. I, I, I hit that point all the time because I never want anyone to feel as if their event isn't enough. If it's hard for you, it's enough. And over time, there's a transformation of why they do the thing and they become different people on the other side of it. Have you seen that in the people you work with, seen it in yourself? Like, is your motivation today the same as your motivation 30 years ago? I have watched a lot of this change (laughs) and not everyone's going to like me for talking the way I do on this subject. And I'm okay with that because that's not why I'm on this world. Like it's okay. Um, And I'm comfortable with myself. (laughs) Um, And I've, I've seen it change. Not everyone has. If you're 30 getting into sport, you haven't seen it change. Um, I'm 50 in sport and I've seen it change. And there's different types of people doing these adventures now than there used to be. And there's different drives behind different people doing these things. Um, You know, one of the biggest things is social media has changed the human being and the adventure um, because people do want to talk about it. And they do want to say, I'm doing this look at me. And, um, so I get a lot of questions about the tour divide event. And another thing that has really changed is like with what I do, I don't know if adventure racing does it. I'm sure to some level they do, but like with bikepacking events, there's 24 hour live tracking. Very common nowadays. Even, even the smaller races now have live tracking. Yep. So, and sure that creates an audience. I, I, I was around when this was born. Okay. Like the tracking I started with was going to a pay phone to call an 800 line and say, Hey, this is JP. Here I am in steamboat. I had an awesome day. Oh, I just got crushed by lightning. That was super fun. All right, man. I'm at mile, whatever. Peace out. And then you don't hear from me for another two days. Okay, but now we have 24-hour live tracking. Okay, so now going back to this, how it's all changed. People, like, 
So I talked to a lot of people about the Tour Divide event, which is a, a bike pack event that really started bike packing. It's something I've done now, um, uh, I guess, seven times, yeah, Canada, Canada, Mexico, Mexico. off road. You know, I've I've been chasing that record for years. I was super driven by it. I go for different experiences. It's it's really shaped me as well. Um, and people want to do it super famous. Like I want to do the tour divide and people want to do the tour divide and the tour divide is supposed to be a race, not a tour. And so then I say, cool. Are you, are you sure you want to do that? Like, you know, there's actually a better time of year to do it. I was like, you know, the first week in June, isn't that good. Like you probably want to do it and later july august september beautiful time <laughs> and uh well i just want to be at the start okay uh are you ready for that kind of pressure this is like a pretty big event you know it's 2800 miles <laughs> um it's gonna take you upwards of three weeks uh unless you're the fast guy and you're two weeks um and then you know there's a lot of responses that that people just want to be a dot people want to be a dot on a screen and that's the wrong reason to do it i'm sorry um and i see it and it's like I, I i there's another thing i say and it's called set yourself up for success and like that's not setting yourself up for success because you want to go do a 2800 mile ride to be a dot on a screen or because you want to talk on your social media for literally a year or two in advance and saying, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And you're putting all this pressure on yourself. Like, honestly, like you're telling the world that's like, do you even know, like, do you, do you think you're going to make it? Like, you know, that, that should be your first goal is like, I want to like try and do this so I can finish. And what, what I see is, and unfortunately, like this is common, like people put all this like hype into it, want to be this thing. And they're done in three days. They quit. Yeah, they've set, they've and, set the expectations so high they can't live up to them. The expectations are so high. They spoke about it so highly uh, on their social media. And, and, and then they just weren't ready for it. They didn't really realize what they were getting into. And, I, and that's fine. I love people taking like uh, on these big adventures and challenges. But I'm going to say like it's just changed. And I'm not saying good or bad. It's just changed, and I've I've witnessed it. And it's definitely different you know, than it has been in the past in it's terms of different. Like yeah. it used to be. So when I first started doing the Iditarod race, um, it was like yeah, 2007, and like uh, there there was less than there was like 30 of us, um, and everyone I would say was just an adventurer. Like there wasn't. You know, maybe you specialize in something, but it wasn't like just cyclists or just hardcore skier or just this like I, I would call the people adventurers looking for an adventure. That's why they went to Alaska to go try to go across Alaska because they were adventurers. There was no social media then. It was like pretty raw. And like these people are just out for an adventure, like whatever. And, um, you know, now like there's definitely um you know specialized in disciplines coming out pro riders and this and that because because there is this uh social media aspect to it and quote unquote influencer deal 
And this all also ties back to money and sponsorships. And so some people are just trying to paint this picture as an adventure to gain followers and have influence to work sponsorships. And, and, but are they really an adventure? Or are they more of a marketing person? They're people, business people. They're business, right. social media people, good on the back end. But like, are they really adventures? I, I'm not going to say they're not. And it's not to everyone, but we see a lot of that. And it's across the board. Like you can make yourself up to be anything you want on social media or on the computer. And you don't have to be that person at all. <laughs> um, right. so, so I think what you're saying is, is that there's a, there's a cohort of people in adventure today who they recognize that they need to generate interest in what they do. So as a result, they spend a lot of time facing outward to the world and they lose sight of what the event is really about. The event becomes the vehicle for more, for more followers and more buzz and more Instagram talk, where in reality, the adventure falls, the adventure experience falls away and it's more about generating interest in what they're doing. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and it's to the point where I've seen it, like where some of these people aren't even, they're not even respecting the founders or the original intent of something or they just don't want to understand that. And they almost want to like turn their head to that because. Okay, so say more a bit about that. What, what was the original intent then? Walk, talk a bit about that because there are people listening to this who are dipping their toes into the water for the first time. And we should talk more about the original intent. Like what do you think the Don Mans of the world and the eco challenges and the early bikepacking experiences, what was the original intent of those experiences? What did they want to do? Oh, they wanted to challenge the individual in, in, in a most, uh, you know, in, in a, an authentic, raw way, if you will. And it was about a self-challenge, or in the case of a team, a group challenge. And that's all it was about. Um, and it was to take home this, you know, this personal experience and to problem solve. And yeah, it was, uh, and, and, and we didn't need, there wasn't a lot of rules back then, you know, it was very understood, like, you know, like, you know, um, self-supported, like didn't really take too much more describing than that. There was also um, a bit of a wild, unpredictable aspect. Like you mentioned the idea of the live tracking that when you, when you set off into the woods or on the road, and you didn't have access to, to immediate contact with the outside world through your phone or through Instagram or through Facebook, there was that sense of just, we are on our own out here. We have to figure this out and we'll see you on the other side. And that's kind of gone away through live tracking and through ubiquitous social media. I, at the, at the start of live tracking, like, you know, I was the guy that stood up and said, I don't want to carry a tracker because I don't want competitors knowing where I'm at. Like the, the tracking has changed the like, uh, competition. And I don't know if like anyone new can like, uh, like let's try to explain that to the, uh, to the people that are just getting into adventuring and what tracking has, how it changed. Like in what sport do you know where your competition's at? 
Yeah, and adventure racing has held on to that ethic where in, a, in an adventure race, short of a volunteer giving you some information at a transition area, you really don't have access to the technology to know where the other teams are on the course. And I think that's beautiful. Like that's not in bikepacking anymore because like anybody could flip open their phone and you could see where you're at in relative to where everyone else is at. And and, and, and that type type of knowledge influences your decision-making. So could there be a bikepacking setup where the, much like in in adventure racing, we have to seal our cell phones in packets. Could you have a bike, could you have a a bikepacking setup where they, where the GPS units are independent of technology and you just leave at a certain time and you can't look at your phone for the the event. And that's a bit of an honor system. Yeah, I suppose you could, but that would be like definitely an organized event with the race director. And it would be, I think it would be so hard to monitor. Um, I would love to see that because like, I think that's where somebody's skill really starts to shine is like managing your own time and not based on somebody else's positioning to you. And like, this is coming from a competitor. That's like, I, I, I like that. Like, I don't want to know where my competition's at. Like, um, I don't want my competition to know where I'm at. And like, I don't want them to know how much sleep I got because this is all information that's going to help you or uh, yeah, it's going to help dictate decisions. And back in the day, like a real competition, like you don't know what's going on with the competitor. Um, And that's changed a lot in bikepacking, you know, and people study that um, and they use it to their advantage. And it took me like I was like totally against it for a while. And I was just like, I had a cave myself because it was just like, I'm not doing myself any favors anymore. Like, eventually your opponent had an advantage knowing where you were, but you didn't know where he or she was. Yeah. And it was just like, you know, it, you know, that's the old school days we could talk about. Remember when and blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, whatever. it's just that's- different. The world has just changed. It's just different. And, yeah. that, and that's all. And not everyone, like sometimes not everyone wants me to bring that stuff up or talk about that. But that's, I think I'm, I'm also truthful about it. I mean, here's a question. Like, so, what's the same? So, we, it's easy to talk about what's different over time. But what do you think remains the same in the sports that you do? What hasn't gone away? Um, you know, I, I, I think community. People love to be around like minded folks for sure, uh, which is a lot of reasons why people want to do these grand departs, if you will, and bikepacking, you know, some events don't have race directors and it's just this grand depart um, and you just show up, but people want to attend those uh, to be around people. Um, and so I think that remains the same. I think the, the, the self challenge still remains the same. See what I'm capable of. Um, you know, just some of it's just been stripped away and we, we have a little bit more cushioning than we've had in the past, I would say. Um, there's more safety involved. Uh, uh, you know, everyone wants to carry one of those, you know, even if it's not a tract event, people still want to carry um, the little uh, in-reach, the garment. in-reach devices and things. And I, I get it. That's awesome. I mean, I I've never had, but whatever. Um, and so, I, yeah, I, there's there's a lot of things that remains the same. Um, and and remains, that's beautiful. What else remains the same is that things can go wrong. Things can go haywire at any moment. 
looking back on your oh. career, and I know it's 30 years, and I know there's a lot, it's almost like trying to eat an elephant, but can you highlight a time in your AR racing or in your bikepacking racing where things just went sideways and you had to figure it out either by yourself or with your team? Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, oh, man, a lot of it has to do with weather. I think more than anything, like I've definitely like broken bits and bikes and fixed them. Um, nothing too horrific. Uh, but, um, I, I, I think, you know, forging through some of the crazy weather is like, um, something that I've shine in. Um, I have always, you know, so like, you know, storms don't shut me down. Like I'll move through the worst storm ever. Like I can remember like literally like pushing up the Yukon river in a ping pong ball for like two and a half days. Like literally can't see like, cause everything is 100% white and I have to put my hand in front of my face to grab contrast of a different color. But I moved for two and a half days straight because the storm was so bad and the snow was getting so deep. I was afraid to stop. Right. And, and I was stop, it built up around you. Right. You have to keep moving I was, forward. I was so hype. I get, I can get extremely hyper-focused and on a mission and like the, the, uh, an extreme weather will, will push you into that situation. And like knowing if you don't do this, like you're going to get shut down and get snowed on in a cave and have to sit there for who knows how long, like that's not the right decision. And it's not an easy decision to also push through that storm. Um, like literally like knee deep snow pushing for two and a half days and like whiteout, like, you know, put, put blinders on and just keep going. And like, that's not an hour, that's two and a half days. Um, and that's serious stuff. Um, but like, you know, that's what makes me different than probably anyone else in the pack. Right. Like that's how I got two days ahead in that race. Um, because I didn't. There is a certain comfort in recognizing that the only way out is through. Like I have no choice here, but to keep going. And, th and there's a certain level of, of ease <laughs> in that. And there's a crazy commitment to that because like I put myself in those situations on purpose because I know it's going to make me commit. And it's the same thing. Like I have, I, I love events where you can choose your own equipment um, because I choose equipment to push me. I don't bring a super comfortable sleep system. I bring one that's skimping half-assed and cold. So I can't stop or so I get cold. So I must keep moving. Um, and, you know, getting trapped on in mountains in Kyrgyzstan when it's like snowing and raining at 14,000 feet, like you, you, you can't stop on top of that mountain. You must get down <laughs> no matter what it takes, you know? And like, I've pushed myself off the top of a mountain in Kyrgyzstan with like a buckling knee because I don't have an ACL. I'm puking on myself because I was, I got myself so nauseated and upset. And I got myself in such a weird situation that I didn't have a choice but to keep going. And I made it. And like getting through those situations, oh my gosh, like you want to talk about like feeling good after something like, uh, you know, that's the drug is like you have all these endorphins that are so high and you're in such a, a touchy 
serious, challenging situation. And then you get through that. And wow, you look like that's something to look back on. And like, that's how I get my confidence, right? Like, because wow, I just overcame that. It's also scary because people are like, dude, when are you going to stop? And like, I'm always looking for that, like, what's further? How can I go further? What's Jay capable of? And this is a personal thing. This is definitely not for everyone. And like, I don't suggest it. Like I, I say, like, I'll share everything I do. I'll tell you everything I do, but I don't suggest what I do. Like that become that's something that's like you, you gotta, you gotta have that. But like, I, I'm so curious of my, my limits and I've yet to reach them because like, I'll, I'll get to this limit that I overcome and I'm like, Oh my gosh, that was, that was ridiculous. And like even explaining it on a podcast or just talking about these situations, like it might sound like serious, but like in the moment, it's even like real serious. <laughs> but I get off on that. And it's like, um, the, it's dangerous if you don't know what you're doing or don't have the experience. Um, and so I'm comfortable there. I'm comfortable being uncomfortable. And um, I look at that situation and want to solve that problem. It goes back to the very beginning of this conversation. Like I love just looking at situations and trying to, trying to make them the best I can with the people that I'm with. Um, because I have a goal and it's to get to the finish. <laughs> Nothing's going to stop me. And um, that sounds kind of crazy. <laughs> right. Well, it, it's it's but it's but it's not crazy, right? Because in many ways, what you what you're doing here is that you're you're drilling life experience down to its barest essence. There's a thing in front of you, and you're going to accomplish that thing. And you're going to have the capacity, the equipment, the personality traits, the the fitness to accomplish that thing. And you keep looking for the next thing in front of you, whether it be adventure racing, whether it be solo adventures, the Iditarod the ITI, no matter what it may be, Kyrgyzstan, that you have yet to find the thing that you can't get your way through. And I, and I don't know if I'm going to find it. And like, honestly, um, I'm definitely a different person than I used to be. Uh, uh, I, I was definitely very hungry, chasing every single thing. It was definitely showing up to absolutely win. Um, although that's not really what it was about, it was, but that's how I prepared. Like I am here to do my best and that's how I prepare um, is at a high level. Um, and, and, and that was slipping away. Like I, I, like I just wasn't getting satisfied by that. And um, so then I started doing events for different reasons um, to go talk with the people and just have a different experience. I've done routes over and over again. So, um, and I've had some of that and that's been fun. I've been mentoring a, a 15, 16 year old kid over the past couple of years. That's been super fun and different. And like, um, you know, now like I'm sharing so much and doing more teaching and consulting and, and like that is super satisfying for me. Like I'm definitely, uh, finally turning 50, I, you know, I might be finding something, uh, uh, you know, as I'm still always going forward, the roads turn and, and, you know, I'm just a curve in a road right now and it feels really good. Um, because it is about watching others, teaching others, 
And um, that stuff is so much more satisfying. And it's, it's like, I want to talk about that because it's better than any win I've ever had. You don't, you won't really hear me brag and talk about, oh, I won this and won that. Oh yeah, I just won. And like, no, I like people are, oh, how'd that race go? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I did good. Yeah, it was good. And you know, it's, it's going to be the person next to me and be like, yeah, dude, he won. And I'm just going to, yeah, whatever. Like it, that's like not that satisfying, honestly, because I'm always looking for a limit. Like I like, that's what I'm looking for. There are my limits. And so it the sounds like you made the transition from being an individual competitor or teammate that you're recognizing as you get older, the fact that it's, it's bringing others along. You mentioned the 15 year old that you work with, you mentioned the giving back. I think fat pursuit plays a role here also. Tell us a bit about that. Cause that's a big way you're giving back. Now, what is that? Oh, it's, it's huge. So fat pursuits an event I've been putting down here. This is my ninth year. So I'm here in Idaho, super snowy. I've been very passionate about fat bikes since they started. I've helped uh, with some advocacy work here um and bring attention to fat bikes and grooming for fat bikes and i've gotten some rules changed within the forest service to allow us to fat bike and a part of that advocacy was like i wanted to show user use i want to show responsible use so you know i launched an event a fat bike event called fat pursuit and it was basically like i have i have so much passion for uh the iditarod that i kind of wanted to like help give this experience to others that would never maybe make it to Iditarod or it was just like such a big thing commitment. Okay. Let me like scale this down. And I know our terrain. We have some amazing terrain here around Yellowstone national park in my backyard. And like, and then with the advocacy, I was like, Oh man, I can't, yeah, I need to put this event. On. I don't want to share like what I do, but I also want to show this user group and show the snow machiners and shared use. And so it was like a, a multifaceted thing. Then I launched it and it was like, just, it's super fun for me. Um, it's a ton of work organizing an event. And like, I would say we, we kind of do a pretty world-class job and, you know, lots of awards and just like, I, you know, I always say everyone wins, everyone goes home with something like, it's just about this journey. And like, you know, we do everything we can to get to the, the competitor to the finish. And there's a 200 kilometer event. So 124 miles on snow like that takes a couple days and you know um and then we do a 60 kilometer and that's no joke either that's still 36 miles on snow like it's not you're not done in three four hours like that's an all-day ride walk ski um and so yeah and we're, we're now in the ninth year and and then like somewhere along the way about four years ago i was like you know, I, I seen this transition, right? Earlier, we we're talking about like the different user groups and coming in and blah, blah, blah. But like, I seen like how cyclists wanted to become winter riders, but they were missing the winter skills. And like, I was having people show up at our event with like regular cycling shoes on. And, you know, it's like, it's been negative 40 here. It's, it's cold. Like, right. It's like, even when it's like just below, below freezing, it's cold. You can't wear regular cycling shoes. And so I was watching. Uh, have you, have you said to somebody like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not leaving with that gear. Oh man. Like I would be like, are you sure dude? Like really? And like, <laughs> you know, and like, I'm definitely that sarcastic guy, but like, like I'm luck, serious. Right. Like I'm not like, I might be serious, uh, like sarcastic and cracking a joke, but like, I'm serious. Like, I've been there, done, like, I see this, like, dude. If you leave with that, you're going to be in big trouble pretty soon. Yes. And, like, a lot of people learn through our event. It's been super fun to watch. Um, but I, I've seen all these, like, like I said, summer cyclists trying to become winter 
cyclist and they don't have those skills. Like, so for my race, there's a mandatory water boil. Like, yeah, I have a, I have equipment list and, you know, I don't, uh, I don't, uh, make a negative 20 degree bag mandatory, but I do make a zero degree bag. If you're, if you're a little smarter, you'll bring the negative 20, but, um, I like people to make their own decisions and I have stove on there. I don't tell you what type of stove, but you need to bring a stove because I have a water boil test. You know, we've watched people bring Esbit tabs, you know, the lightweight guys and like struggling at the checkpoint, trying to do their water boil. They don't have their jacket on. And you're like, I'm like, fuck, man, like I, I got to do more. them during the race and they have to stop during the race and ensure that they can boil water before they go back. Absolutely. Absolutely. Water boil test. And it's just like, because I know, like I've been that guy, like I see these equipment lists and like, I'm the guy that's like duct taping the stove to my bike because I'm never going to use it. I know how to use it. But there's so many people out there that like don't even know how to use it. Like I see tags on equipment, tags on stoves, <laughs> just like not proper gear. And I'm like, I like, I know like one, you don't have the proper equipment. And two, I'm almost positive you don't have the skills. So like, how can I help that community? So then we launched camps. So now I have two winter camps. And you know, my first workshop starts this weekend. And the workshop is to help prepare the people for the race next weekend. And then after that, then I do a more thorough five-day camp. The workshop's three days. And um, it's been a really, really cool thing for me. Um, It satisfies me in so many ways. Um, You know, it's definitely a labor of love. Um, But there again, it's going back to that, like, you know, the winning events never really satisfied me. It was just something I did. And like, I've been lucky to work hard at it. And I just have a good work ethic. And naturally, I've been good at it. And I work at things. I'm a tinker, I try to figure things out. Um, so I've just done well in events. But like this part of it is like, really satisfying. Well, it's um, what you've done is that you've taken your your personal ethic of helping your team move forward as efficiently as possible. And you've applied that to an entire community. That's what you've done. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I, you know, like it, it's just like everything's been very natural in my life. Um, I, you know, there, there's times I got to push for things and stuff like that, but I would say my, my life's been very organic. I come from a, a construction background. Um, I, I managed my own construction business, um, worked hard. Uh, but then like I seen this opportunity early on, like with like JP and like, wow, he's doing good at these events, uh, you know, and people were approaching me and like brands. And, um, I, I, it, it was a couple of years and I was like, man, I wonder if like, I can somehow like work with brands or brand myself or do something different and try to earn an income. And, um, and I slowly figured that out and I'm still figuring that out, but, um, I do it somehow. Um, and there, there's no book on how to do it. I just kind of do it. But, um, I've had this kind of philosophy since adventure racing and it came from adventure racing. And what I learned early on from my mentors was always move forward in adventure racing. We never stopped. If you had to go to the bathroom, you either ran ahead or you caught up. If you had to grab water, like the team never stopped. That was just like rule of thumb. We never stopped. Um, and any adventure reader can, should be able to relate to that. And, um, 
And, and I love that mentality. And it was so like, cool. Yeah, I'm good at this. Yeah, okay. This is what you're telling me. <laughs> um, and, and then like when I transitioned into this like uh, bike centric life, um, strictly bike in 2006. And then when I was starting to like do things and this branding process, someone's like, ah, dude, you got to come up with a tagline. And I'm just like, ah, sure. Like I said, I want ride forward. And the ride comes from my bike and forward comes from my adventure racing. But it's not just about riding forward and moving forward. It's this life philosophy that I have. And I want to do that within my relationships. I want to do that with my wife. I want to do that with my friends. I want to do that with my business. I want to do that with my events. I want to do that with the people that are around me. I want to move everything forward in a positive way. And, and, and I think it's a good philosophy. I, I don't know. I'm not a philosopher, but like, and it's just something that like, I like to talk about because it's easy to get drugged down in the, everything, the news of today, or even like, you know, part of ride forward is like, have no regrets, like look back and reflect, but don't like be mad about your decisions. Like you made that decision for a reason. Be okay with that. Don't be like, I'm not the would have, could have, should have guy. Like, I don't like those conversations. <laughs> like, it's not would have, could have, should have. It's just like, it's okay. Like, reflect, think about it, but forward, forward, forward. Um, and that's just the way I am. And like, uh, yeah, I'm doing that now. Um, you know, I, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like transitioning as we speak. Um, you know, like I'm not concentrating I'm not doing freaking three expedition events next year with six gravel races. Like that's not what I'm doing. Like, you know, COVID taught me a lot about slowing down and being home. You know, I traveled for six months out of the year for a handful of years. Like it's, it's not all that glorious when people see that, Oh, Jay, you're living the dream. I'm like, dude, I am surviving the dream. And this is like, not, it's not sustainable. And like, you know, like COVID taught me a lot to slow down and be here. And like, now I'm turning 50 and like, I don't want to do all these events. Like I'm going to, I'm going to concentrate on one event next year because like, I, I still have that in me. Um, and, and I like that. Um, but you know, I'm going to move kind of my teaching forward. Like that's, it sounds like what you're doing there is you're finding your, your, you're exchanging one thing for another. Right. Yep. So rather than spend X amount of days on the road doing all these big races, which are boxes that you've you've checked off in many, many ways, you're yep. saying said my my time and my resources are better spent on the community and bringing people along, whether it be formally through fat pursuit in the camp you're running, to your advocacy, bringing individuals along, you know, the teenager that you yep. work with and things like that. And it sounds like it came all from for you, it flowed very naturally. You used the word organic before, and it flowed very naturally from like it sounds like you, dare I say. You had no grandmaster plan, but instead you did the next right thing. And the next right thing just has brought you into this life today that you get to do all these amazing adventures that you work hard at and you enjoy. And I think that's a nice message for the listener, right? That we don't necessarily have to have the seven page, 84 step bit by bit. This is the way my life is going to go. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, uh, it's so I've learned so much of, uh, in life through my racing. And I, I have all these things that I relate to. Like when I work with the kid, I'm like, dude, you're going to CSU right now. And that's common sense university, bud. Like when you're cold, you put a jacket on. You didn't need to go to school for that. You know, you got blisters on your feet, you take your shoes off and you check things out. 
like you just don't keep like walking around and like you know doing this stuff to yourself and like we laugh at csu common sense university but it's like you know i relate that to my life stuff too um and then there's a you know there's a, like another thing like i i brought from my racing that i bring into the real world and i try to teach people and it's like you know just like my life i haven't had this plan but maybe i've been preparing my whole life for it and like i say the same thing in events people that want to do these multi-day events like you can't plan like i'm sorry like that type a like spreadsheet person that needs to make like what i'm doing every single day for the for a 14 day 2800 mile ride like like that plan's going to go out the window like like day two when you're not meeting your mileage or the spreadsheet didn't pan out to what is real life like you just spent all that time planning and now it's gone. I say spend your time preparing. And then you're ready for anything that comes at you. Roald Amundsen <laughs> said that, right? You prepare, you prepare, you prepare. So when the time comes, you get strike. And so <laughs> it's not necessarily having a plan, but it's when, you know, if someone, someone knocks on your door today and says, hey, Jay, we need you to go do this thing. You're like, I'll go get my gear, right? You don't need, you don't, you've all along is built, 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 and you're ready to go give you, give you three hours in a suitcase and you're on a, you're on a plane and, you know, ready to go somewhere. So I think you're spot on that. That's a really good message for a lot of the listeners out there is that it's, it is necessarily about, yes, you have to have a plan in training and preparation, right? With that, I mean, sure, yeah. you're asking for trouble yeah. if there's no general plan, but it yep. can't be, you can't expect that plan to go exactly the way it's supposed to, you know, the old expression, right? The expression is um, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. You, know, yeah. you go to work and next thing you know, it's something's different and you got to figure it out along the way. No, you got to be, you know, flexible and pliable and just be willing to like roll with the punches, as they say. Um, yeah. And it's been fun. Like I said, like I, I still don't have to figure it out, but uh, I, I'm doing it. Like I'm moving forward and like, I, you know, I, I, I feel good uh, how life has gone and we're, we're uh, where adventure racing has brought me, honestly, like, uh, I always reflect on that. And like, uh, I'll never not talk about that because it's taught me just a, a lot of athletic skill and survival and mountain skills and, and all that stuff has been able to reflect into my life. And like, I have a huge respect for that. It was a really cool piece of my life. Thank you, Jay. As promised, Jay's excitement and enthusiasm for all things having to do with challenge in the outdoors came across during his interview. I am grateful for his time, and I hope that you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed speaking with him. If you enjoyed this episode, please pay a visit to your podcast streaming platform of choice and leave us a review. That is the best way to spread the word. Also, always feel free to reach out to me, Brian, at ardarkzone.com. Your feedback and guest suggestions are always welcome. Thank you to our sponsors at Tansy Navigation for their support. And thank you listeners for joining us at the Dark Zone. Have fun out there.